The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video. Hi, and welcome to a special episode of The Video Insiders. This is Tamal Shoham, VP Technology at Beamer, and we have a real treat lined up for you today. In honor of the International Women's Day, we're doing a women takeover of The Video Insiders, and I'd like to welcome my co-host, Anne Aaron. Welcome. Hi, Tamar. Thank you for inviting me. The reason we decided to record this episode is that despite the fact that we are seeing more and more women entering the science and engineering world, it seems that the hardcore video engineering is still lagging behind. We could bring lots of different statistics to back this up, but looking close to home at the Video Insiders group members on LinkedIn, I sampled a group of a random 200 members and found that only about 10% were women. So, in honor of the special day, we're going to make a change. Anne, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, thanks, Samar. So I'm Anne Aaron, and I lead the encoding technologies team at Netflix. You may have heard of Netflix. I hope you watch your favorite shows and movies on Netflix. So, you know, as, as you can imagine, since we are an, an internet entertainment company, uh, video streaming is core to our business, and that is what our team does. Um, so on the streaming side, we're, we are the team that inspects, um, analyzes, encodes, packages, applies DRM to all the media assets. So that's video, audio, uh, time text, and images. Um, and we make sure that they just play seamlessly across all the Netflix devices. Um, aside from being a streaming company, we also produce our own content. So uh, on that side of the business, um, you do also need a lot of media technologies. So we're also building services and libraries that help in the content production. Um, I've been at Netflix for almost 10 years now. So starting from a um, software engineer um, with, you know, working on deep video coding algorithms to now leading a team of about 50, 60 people. Wow. Really cool. Um, so, you know, the advantage of working at a place like Netflix is it really doesn't take much uh, explaining of what you do and what the product is. Uh, we actually share a common interest because here at Beamer, we work a lot on perceptual image and video quality optimization using a quality metric. And in the last few years in Netflix, you've been doing a lot of interesting work on a perceptual quality measure. Could you please tell us a bit about that? Yeah, that is definitely one of the most interesting things I've worked on at Netflix. So working on video algorithms and making sure that our encodes were the best quality at the lowest bandwidth necessary, we thought, you know, how do you make, make sure that you're streaming great quality video? And, you know, you can't just watch every single show or movie that you encode. So we, we thought that we needed a, an automated way to measure the quality, the perceptual quality, without having to look at video and do it in a scalable way. So a few years ago, um, we started on that project and um, figured out that, you know, let's partner with academic universities, do some research yourself. And for a metric to be usable for Netflix, it also had to be accepted and usable by the rest of the industry, right? If we wanted to, to look at codec vendors or new standards and measure the quality based on our metric, um, we had to be open about that metric. So we, we decided to develop a metric 
perceptual metric and also then at the same time while we were developing it continuously open sourcing it and and making it open to the the rest of the community and since then happy to say that over the last you know many years um, investing our research efforts and engineering efforts in in that it's been quite successful Um, it's been very useful to Netflix and We've, we've seen that it's been useful to others, to other academic institutions and other um, companies in the industry that do video streaming. So that's what we call, and just to be more specific, it's what we call VMAF. I think probably the, the coolest aspect of uh, VMAF, the, the Netflix perceptual metric, and our BQM, Beamer Quality Measure, is the recent announcement that the NATAS decided to award an engineering and technology Emmy for perceptual video quality optimization, which landed an Emmy in your lap and in ours. Yeah, it is quite exciting, you know, coming from a very uh, technical field, very, you know, growing up being very nerdy and saying that, oh, you know, I am now part of show business and we we just got two Emmys. Interestingly, from what I've seen in this niche of video compression or video algorithms, there are actually quite a few women involved. There's you, of course, myself, Sherry over at Deluxe, Zoe at Visionular, who we actually hosted in a previous episode. I'm just wondering, do you think there's any reason this is a field that tends to attract a more fair share of women? I don't know if it's a coincidence, but for me, what I, I liked about video processing and image co- processing ever since, like I've always liked science and, and math, but with video, it's so tangible, right? And, and, and you can, you, there's the abstract part, there's the science part of the math, but then after you do all that, you can actually see and sense the output of your work. And so I think that's something that I loved about this space. So um, I don't know if there's some, you know, more inclination of women to that, but I think that's how I've seen it. And the other interesting thing for me, you mentioned some statistics that um, 10% are, are women in the field, but if you actually see, I don't know how how familiar, how much you've got, gone into standardization work, like for MPEG, if you see th- that space in your meetings, even though there is a, there are only a small number of women, a lot of the leaders actually of the, the groups that are active in that space are women. And they're the ones who are making a lot of decisions. And I can mention, you know, Jill Boyce from Intel, Yanye, Elena, who was at Samsung, um, of course, Marta from Qualcomm. And these are companies that have been very active in video codec standardization. And they've been led by women. So that that's good to see. Definitely. So so we are making a difference. We've all had our experience of being the only woman in the room. It is getting a bit better, but at least from my experience, it's very common to enter a room and find yourself the only woman there. Looking at a report done in 2020, it claimed that 68% of women in engineering positions often find themselves to be the only woman in the room. And when you go to higher levels of seniority, this number even increases. So Anne, I was wondering if you have a story of being the only woman in the room that you can think of that you'd like to share? I think that definitely happens a lot of times. The starkest um, memory I have of being the only woman in the room is, um, I think it was four or five years ago, I gave a uh, talk at DMUX um, on perceptual metrics, on VMAF, actually. That was one of the first public talks I gave on VMAF. And it was a room of about 
maybe 100 people in the audience and I was the first speaker. And I looked at the audience and actually did not see a single woman in the room at that at the start of the talk. Not a single woman. And that was that was really, really surprising to me. Um, eventually, some women trickled in throughout the talk. Um, and, you know, there were some women outside in the registration. But but, yeah, that first look at the audience was very shocking. And, and that that dawned on me how how bad representation was <laughs> in, in our industry. Yeah, totally. My dawning moment was a combination of a summer where I attended a few meetings. I was doing the rounds in the US and um, that wasn't the time that we met. So in all my meetings, I was the only woman. And the same summer, my daughter traveled to CERN, to the Particle Accelerator with her advanced physics program. And she was the only female in the group. And that's when it hit me that it's been another generation. And still these girls are finding themselves in the position of being the only girl there. But I'll actually share a, a different aspect or story. And that's something I've noticed even back when I was a student at university, that when there's a photographer or they're taking some pictures or doing some press coverage, they always want the girls to feature in the photos. And I'm trying to wrap my head around and I'm wondering what you think. Is that a good thing that there's like overrepresentation of women in press coverage, in in photos? Or is that, you know, not representing the true situation and something that we shouldn't encourage? I don't think these are the things that will move the needle to help. This is all, you know marketing, right? Maybe it's not hurting, right? But it's not also the, the fundamental things that we should be doing to change change the situation. Okay, so, so that's a great lead into the next thing I'd, I'd like us to address, which is, you know, you've obviously made it big time in this engineering world. If you have to look back, what do you think the contributing factors were that made your path possible? When I hear that question, like, what, how, were, how have you become successful as a woman in a field? The question we should be asking is, why are other women not successful in the field, right? And, and so maybe my question to myself when, when, when I'm asked that is, why was I not scared away? What, what happened to me that did not happen to other women? Which is, which is another good way to, to think about it, instead of saying, why was I successful? And so I think there are a few things. And looking back, um, I grew up with two sisters. My, I have a brother, so there are four siblings. I grew up in the Philippines. My brother didn't come along until... Um, I was 10 years old, so he was the youngest in the family. Probably growing up with sisters helped that people did not, you know, our parents, not that they would have, but, you know, there are still some unconscious biases that, that people have. And so I wasn't treated differently from from boys. Um, I went to a, a all-girls Catholic school before high school. And there also, I was not treated differently by my teachers because we were all girls. And, um, and I was able to sell in math and science without any biases that teachers may have had. Um, so I think some of that early upbringing probably helped to give me confidence that I could be successful in this space. Um, and then I think over the years, I, I when it was started, I remember a, a, a teacher in, in fifth grade telling me, you know, you're, Anne, you're, you're very smart, but you're not confident. And so that, that, that made me say, okay, let me change this. So, so I went to a different high school. I went to a science high school in the Philippines where it was a charter school where we did intensive science and math. And when I went there, it's like, no one knows me here. I can be more confident. And so, so that I think also helped. One thing that is important and is that you have people 
in positions of privilege who are not underrepresented, who are sponsoring you or being your ally. And not, not just being a mentor, but it's being your sponsor and giving you that extra privilege that you may not have because of your gender or your ethnicity. And, and I think for my PhD, I had uh, my professor, Bernd Giraud, he's, you know, he's German, he's really tall, he's more than a foot taller than me, you know, I'm tiny. Um, and he, he would speak very highly of my work. So even before I would go into a conference, they would know my name. And, and so there's less probably stereotypical bias that comes in because he's already spoken about my work. Um, I've, I've had that same sponsor in some way with my previous manager, uh, David Ronka, who was my manager th- uh, for many years within Netflix. And we had some reorg and I was speaking to our, v- our new VPs. And they told me even before, like, I've never heard uh, someone speak so highly of someone aside from David speaking about you. And so even before they m- meet me, um, David already like talked about me. And I think having that sponsor um, was very helpful. And not to say that it was all that one direction that they were helping me, but it was mutual, right? The work that I did for my professor, the work that I did with David in the team helped their careers too. Yeah. So, so it was mutual. <laughs> we assume that, you know, they're being really kind to us, but I'm telling you, it probably just was spectacular. But it's interesting that you raise the point of an old girls school because a year back, Jess Wade gave an excellent lecture on diversity at SPIE. And it really resonated with me because she described factors that a lot of them came up in in what you mentioned. She had a scientist mother, which I also do. She went to an old girls high school, which I also did. Um, Being Orthodox, we have separate schools here. And she also mentioned an inspiring teacher in high school, which in my case was a math teacher. So it's really interesting. I mean, there is something about that, um, I think. And and I I mentioned my daughter being the only girl in an advanced physics program. She also went to an all-girls school. And the person at Tel Aviv University in charge of the program said that he has seen now for a few years in a row that the Orthodox girls that come from an all-girls school tend to stick through the program more than the other girls. So obviously there must be something in that, that they're not shy, I guess, from the boys to excel in what might be perceived as a less feminine subject, I guess. That's right. And I think, I think you know, these are good stories to point out, you know, what may be wrong with the rest of the system, right? It's not necessarily that, yes, all girls schools are are the best, but what is wrong with schools? And, and when we talk about how we improve the situation, I think I think it's not about training girls necessarily to be confident and, and you know, but it's actually focusing on the boys. It's actually I have two young boys, and it's a conscious effort on my side to actually expose them to books where girls are the main characters, right? So I want them to grow up um, knowing that you know girls are they're equal and have the same capabilities and so there's so much media out there where you have boys as the main character especially like you know like uh, harry potter right and and a lot of you know uh star wars especially the earlier ones uh lord of the rings so these are like fantasy books that my boys love and they're all male characters and every time we we talk every time we watch a movie or read a book i i always point it out to them that 
there are no women in this. Like, just for them to realize, especially the early Star Wars, <laughs> I, I kept complaining as we were watching the movie. But so I think I think the role really is not necessarily to have girls read more books about girls being strong, but actually have the boys read these books. That makes a lot of sense. So it's it's all about awareness. And I must say, you know, I've been very fortunate to to have work environments that, as you mentioned, have been incredibly supportive. And at Beamer, I I I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but Dor Gil and Sean Comel, who started our company, are both proud fathers to three girls. So I, I think there's something in that. And you mentioned also, you know, being old girls until your brother came along, where it's just the world you live in and and the, the equality seems more natural. And that brings us to another topic of modern feminism. So I think, you know, we went through a period where it was either or. If you wanted to have a career and you wanted to to be equal to the men, that meant, you know, you didn't raise a family or you had to give everything to your job to compete in a male world. And I think nowadays, I mean, there are lots of different terms for it because people need to get sociology PhDs and, and give it names, right? But if it's second wave feminism or post-feminism or whatever, I think there's more awareness now that it's not a choice between career and family. It's not making the women equal to the men. It's about embracing diversity and encouraging it rather than trying to erase it and equalize um, has, has that been your experience as well? Yeah, when you hear about a woman who has who has a successful career and let's say they have three kids, like, oh, how did they do it, right? And we never ask that about all the successful CEOs out there who have kids. So it, there is some some bias in how we look at how women should be in the workplace and, and at home. And and I think um, for for women to spouse you, you have, your your partner should be as equally productive to at home. And that's the only way to do it. Who share equally in, in the burden. My spouse also has a full-time job in, in, in tech, um, in video too, actually. So we do talk a lot about video tech at home. But we, we always make sure that it's equal contributions in terms of childcare, in terms of cooking, in terms of laundries. Sometimes I have to list it down to make sure that it's equal. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I think that's that's one way to think about it. If we want women to be productive in the workplace as productive as the men or you know whatever spouse you, you have, your your partner should be as equally productive to at home. And that's the only way to do it. Yeah, I'll even bring a maybe a slightly different perspective because I made a slightly different choice. And uh, when my kids were young, I didn't work full time. I worked 70% for many, many years in order to be home with them in the evenings. And I think the fact that people are making more diverse choices like that, I mean, you find people that have a hobby that they don't want to give up and they work 70 percent. So, so I think the fact that everybody can find the right formula, that it's not black and white, it's not be a stay at home mom or have neglected children. Right. You can find a work life balance that works for you and for your partner. You know, you said share the burden, but but I'm going to change one word, share the experience. You know, more and more men want to be involved in raising the family. So I think that's one thing that's changing and is hopeful that there are lots of ways to be a successful engineer and it's not one thing or another. 
I totally agree. You're right there. You, you could choose that and then have that balance. I think the other thing is that the company you work for should also appreciate this balance. And I think that's something that I, I try to be very aware of for my team, my team at Netflix. If you have team members, colleagues who feel pressured, who are stressed, you know, they're not going to be their most productive selves anyway in that time that they're spending at work. So I think that's the other thing to keep in mind is that a job is not a 24-7 thing. You could have that balance. And after you end your meetings of the day, you can shift your mind to something else, whether that's taking care of kids or your hobbies or, you know, and right now I'm growing a lot of vegetables because of the pandemic and baking a lot of bread. You know, I, I tell myself that those things I do for myself is also helping my job and also helping the quality of my work when I then switch to work. Totally, totally. So it's all about the life-work balance for everyone. And I think, you know, COVID has definitely been a lesson in that. So we spoke a bit about how we got into engineering and, and, you know, that there maybe isn't enough being done for women to get into engineering, but definitely another problem, which is tightly related to what we were just discussing, finding the balance is the, what's called the leaky pipeline or the retention. So there's a lot of research that shows that um, not only there are less women going into STEM subjects, but there is a lot less retention. Only 38% of women who majored in computer science are still working in the field a number of years later, compared to 53% of men. That's computer science. It's even worse in engineering. So we're seeing that even women who enter the tech field, they're 45% more likely to leave than men. So I think that's tightly related to the, you know, work-life balance, but do you have any ideas like what we could be doing? So, so you mentioned again, you know, that a lot of um, support both from home and in the workplace, any other ideas, what can be done about that? Yeah. Um, I'm, and I'm, I'm basing this on my experience. I, I mentioned the instances that helped me stay and helped me succeed in the field. I can also point to instances maybe that, could have changed my mind. And I think those are things that should be addressed and people should be aware of. Uh, going back to one of my early jobs at a startup, I had an executive tell me uh, that I would likely not be successful in that startup because I had too much of a balanced life. I had a boyfriend then, he was now my husband. I had family was important to me. And he said that, he had to give up a lot to be successful. That conversation could have completely, you know, pushed me away, right? But internally, you know, it's like, I just have to get out of this company and, and this is not right, right? So that did not push me away. Another thing that happened, um, I, I interviewed three times for one company in the Bay Area um, and I, I, I did get the job three times. <laughs> and one of the time, so I was interviewing for you know software engineering. I hadn't finished my PhD. I had I had my master's. I hadn't submitted my thesis, but you know I did do all the research. Um, and the second time I interviewed, I remember I got an email from them saying that we have another role as a program manager, I think, or was it a technical program manager or a project manager? And you know maybe you should consider this. You might not even have to interview again. 
And at that time, like, okay, so th- there was a sense that I was not technical enough for, for the role as a software engineering in the video space. So maybe I should do this. Maybe I think I'm better. So I could have moved away too. Um, the third instance, and this is more recent, you know, at this point in my career, I was already at Netflix. And so I would not have left, but it just gave me an indication of what women may be experiencing. And this is more to the extreme and it's a bit hard to share, but I, I was at the AV1 launch party. I don't know if, if you were there. This was a few years ago at, at NAB. And it was, you know, it was at night and we were celebrating that we've launched AV1. And I had a phone that I was demoing around um, off AV1 with shot based encodes, a trailer of Jessica Jones. And we're showing how great the quality was at 250 kilobits per second and, you know, moving around the room. And I knew, knew a lot of people, but this one person just told me it was just as I was moving around showing people that he's he tells me like oh are you demoing porn and I I was just shocked right like typically in other meetings people know of me they would not they know even though like you shouldn't speak to people like that even if they don't they even whoever you are and I was just flabbergasted and just didn't say anything because I was like I'm not going to give him my attention. He catches me two other times in that in that same party and says the same thing to me again. The last time he says this to me, he was surrounded by a group of men of co- maybe colleagues who did not say a word, but he repeated that to me. Um, and it's almost dehumanizing and minimizing my work. And at that point in my career, I, I I knew who I was. I knew my 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 worth. If that was a younger woman and who would get that? Like, why would you stay in this field? Right. Um, so I think these are instances which I think push people away, which are just not right. And I think the responsibility is not for one of my regrets is not speaking up as much, but, but it, I was just shocked. But I think the the responsibility is for other people in the field to speak up. And, and if these things happen, I, I don't know, maybe these are isolated incidents, but I wouldn't think so too, right? No, no, I, I could share a few stories like that too. Um, starting already from university days when, you know, again, the only girl in, in a certain um, class. One of the, the harshest moments for me was I was pregnant with my first child uh, already during my undergraduate degree. And uh, we were doing an end of degree project and interviewing with a few people that were offering projects. And I was about six months pregnant and I walked in and he took one look at me and he said, who's waiting to take care of the baby? And I said, me? And he said, oh, I don't think this project is right for you. And like you said, if, if this would have happened like years later, I probably would have said something. But I was just so shocked that I, I, I just walked out, you know, and I found another project and I finished my degree. But I, I think you're right. There are these moments where you feel singled out or, you know, like maybe this is too much for me. And and not everybody manages to, to get past those moments. So that's definitely something, you know, looking to the future. I think to, to be more out there and vocal and say, you know, if you have this kind of experience, it shouldn't give you second thoughts about what you're doing. It should, you know, give them second thoughts about what they're doing and and just make it a fact. I think Heather Mellish put it perfectly last year in a, another women takeover over a, a podcast. And she said, and I'm quoting with permission, that being a woman in streaming, it's hard. But you have to get up every day, show up every day, and just be the change. 
So I think really that's what it's all about. And, and I think, you know, the reason word burden of doing the change is shouldn't fall on us. I think my frustration, disappointment really at that for, for that last incident was that no one none of the men spoke up. And so this is, this is one reason I guess, as I'm speaking here is it's also to say that people in our field should be comfortable calling out wrong things like that. And, and it shouldn't be us who have been shocked to do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just to raise awareness, to create a more inclusive environment. You're, you're right, Tamara, that this is something that, that we have to work on as an industry about inclusion. And I mean, it is the right thing to do. That's correct. But I think this is also what is best for the industry, that we could continue to innovate. You, you heard Tamara's story about the incident when she was pregnant. Imagine if she was not in the industry and decided to move somewhere else. Imagine all the innovation that would not have happened. And, you know, I can say that for, for myself, too. So I think the fact that we are losing a lot of women, and not just women, you know, there are other underrepresented groups, means that we are losing on a lot of talent. And, and that really is my worry, right? Like we could get the best people if we are a more inclusive industry. I've got nothing to add to that. That's the perfect bottom line. So here's to a, hopefully a better, more inclusive future. Thank you so much, Anne, for joining us on this special episode. It's been a real pleasure interviewing you. And hopefully we can meet in person again sometime soon when all this crazy situation worldwide is over. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.